I firmly believe that when you are elected into public service, your responsibility is to do the things that need to be done instead of the things that may be only popular. So we took the medium and long-term view. We knew that we would pay a political price in the short term, but we were absolutely certain that in the medium and long term, it was going to benefit the country. Welcome back. Richard Baker, founder of Collector Responsibility here today with another episode of the Sustainable Ambassador podcast. Through the series, I speak with sustainable ambassadors about their work in the areas of environmental, social, and economic challenges that the world is facing. For this episode, I am super honored to have a true sustainable ambassador, Jose Marie Figueres. He is the former president of Costa Rica from 1994 to 1998. And through his time, sustainability and sustainable development was core to his administration, be it through creating the first carbon pricing mechanism in 1995, or through the, the first real negotiation with the U.S. Department of energy and creating a climate change um, document that, that bound the two countries together. He continued working in the space as a director for WWF, WRI, as well as the Stockholm Environmental Institute. He is a true sustainable ambassador. I'm so appreciative to have you on the podcast to talk about your work. Richard, to begin with, thank you ever so much for a most kind introduction. My work has been very much uh, motivated by the fact that I see sustainability and sustainable development as a fantastic opportunity. And instead of looking at this as, oh my God, what are we going to do? I look at it as what a privilege to live at this point in time when we have the opportunity to reinvent everything, Richard, reinvent our economy, reinvent the way we live, the way we transport ourselves, the way we organize cities and we organize our work. And I believe that that is a fantastic economic opportunity. A lot of small nations, developing nations would say, look, we need time to develop. It's not our time. It's not our responsibility. But you were like, no, now's the time. So what was it that shaped your view that sustainability was so core to its future? When we went into government, we were very enthused, but very concentrated on the fact that we wanted to have medium and long-term objectives that would guide our short decision-making process. One of the unintended, uh, shall we say, deficits of uh, democracies today is the fact that we have a very short uh, attention span. We have a very uh, short-term vision of what we want to do. And that uh, unfortunately creates zigzag movements in the development of nations as they go from one government to another. Uh, we wanted, therefore, to have medium and long-term goals be able to align our short-term decision-making process. And that's where sustainability came in, because I was completely convinced that the future of the world was going to be in bringing together the environment and the economy, making a good business out of the environment, which is what we have done in Costa Rica, uh, and therefore concentrate on this. Now, when we started talking about sustainability, people kind of turned around and said, what is this? Why are we talking about carbon emissions instead of talking about uh, this or that or building another bridge or two more schools or one more hospital? Um, we brought it all together. And I believe that we were successful at that point in time because in effect, we were able to prove conserving the environment and focusing on lowering emissions is a fantastic business opportunity that creates jobs, and drives investment. So I'll give you a couple of examples of that. 
Costa Rica has had 100% of its electricity renewable from renewable bases, from hydrogen, geothermal, wind, solar, and biomass. That is 35% of our energy matrix. Today, I'm working on solving the challenges of the other 65% of the energy matrix, which is not electricity, but which is hydrofuels, uh, gasoline, diesel, kerosene, etc. And there is where we are again seeing a tremendous opportunity to move forward with green hydrogen. Um, I'll give you another example. We coined the term ecotourism. And today, when the world thinks of ecotourism, it thinks of several destinations, but mainly Costa Rica. Well, the, the, attraction, uh, the attraction for ecotourism was our national park system, which we refurbished, reinvigorated, and expanded to cover 30% of our national territory. That became the economic engine that attracted ecotourism. And today, tourism is the second dollar income in the country and the activity that provides most jobs in rural areas. If, if we want to get prices right uh, and we want to bring economics into this uh, equation of sustainability, we should also begin to transfer taxes from being taxes on work and capital to being taxes on consumption and waste. 7.5% tax on fuels that went directly into Fonafifo, an environmental fund that bought environmental services, bought gasoline or diesel. You were going to be burning it in your engine, emitting carbon emissions. You paid the 7.5% tax, and that money was in turn financing the growing of trees to suck out the carbon that you had put up there and convert it into biomass through photosynthesis, or you were paying for the conservation of the watersheds around our hydro projects. And so these three examples and some others that we moved on uh, are very clear in, in, in linking economics with the environment. And I firmly believe that going forward, we have to even get much better at that. You had this big vision you had a clear kind of path for the little pieces and you start to put them in place. I mean, I can't imagine a 7.5% gas tax is very popular in the 90s or now. How do you engage when it is? I mean, that, that's a real tough sell to a lot of people. How do you help or what do you say? What do you do to make those tough sells a reality? I firmly believe that when you are elected into public service, your responsibility is to do the things that need to be done uh, instead of the things that may be only popular. And so we took the medium and long-term view. We were convinced of what we were doing. We knew that we would pay a political price in the short term, but we were absolutely certain that in the medium and long-term, it was going to benefit the country as it has. We were much aided by the fact that our political constitution does not allow immediate reelection. We had no opportunity of that because of our constitution. And we therefore said, let's go for it. That for me sounds almost liberating to know that you're going to go in, you got four years, you're going to give it a go. But at the same time, doesn't that also at times perhaps embolden your opposition? Like, look, he's only going to be here four years. We can wait him out. Yes, it, it has that effect also, but uh, you have to push back. 
You have to push back and fight for the things that you believe. You fight for public policy that is based on science, scientific evidence. You fight for things that are based on numbers, facts, economics, uh, and that make sense. How, how did you as a president look at and try to measure the success when you only have a short four-year timeline? So we had very clear metrics of what we wanted to be able to accomplish in terms of economic growth, very much uh, incorporating uh, social and environmental aspects, which brings us around, of course, then to the core definition of sustainability, which is to take care not only of your economics, but also of your social and environmental indicators. Our policies at that point in time were a combination of the three. Uh, we were taking care of our environment. I have already talked to that. We were looking at it as an economic opportunity, but we were also making sure that that conformed itself or uh, produced itself into social well-being. There are still many externalities that are not being accounted for uh, and which quite frankly, are a roadblock in uh, in the path towards uh, greater sustainability. And, and, and the fact that uh, we have had these economic externalities, uh, which is not the full cost accounting, is, is something that we have to uh, get over with. For I'll, I'll give an example. So we're not incorporating in, in the price of fossil fuels, uh, the emissions that are going up to the air, uh, and uh, what's that's causing in terms of increased climate change. We're not incorporating into the price of these fuels uh, what these emissions do to public health. These economic externalities, these costs that we're not incorporating are, are then, this, uh, there are elements that uh, uh, we would say in Spanish, distorsionan. They give us a, a, a wrong final figure still need to move ahead on full cost accounting. It would help a lot, Richard, if international financial institutions, the World Bank, the International Monetary Fund, the development banks, the Asian Development Bank, the Latin American Development Bank, the African Development Bank would move to full cost accounting when they work with governments around the world. That would be a tremendous, a tremendous advancement uh, in terms of getting prices right. We're starting to see a lot of those cheap wins be removed. A lot of cheap externalities that we relied upon for so long, they, they're just being removed. And, and those little cost increases, that is driving consumers to a whole new behavioral pattern. Just to that point, Richard, I, you know, the, the, the journey that you talked about in your introductory words, the, the journey of sustainability, it has been slow in the beginning, uh, but I feel that every day we are gaining steam. What we have seen just in the last weeks in terms of record breaking uh, temperatures. It is really driving home the issue that climate change is here. And I make this point also, Richard, because I feel very passionate about the fact that the world needs to rekindle its economic engines of growth. We cannot afford to go into a period of economic recession and just accept it as a fact of life because it will create havoc in the livelihoods and the opportunities of so many millions of peoples around the world that are going to go back into poverty. So we must rekindle the engines of, of economic growth. And the best way to rekindle those engines of economic growth is to place the incentives on economic transformations that drive us in the direction of sustainability and just 
uh, begin to uh, formulate good public policy that incentivates uh, the private sector, the market economy, the entrepreneurs to come into this space with uh, renewed optimism and vigor. So we need to move ahead on that at this point in time, even much more so. Do you still yeah. think that it's true that governments are generally subsidizing the past, that they're kind of unwilling to break the cycle uh, when, when the world is teetering on the recession? Many governments are. We still have governments around the world that subsidize coal. Subsidize coal. We have governments around the world that subsidize uh, fuels, diesel, gasoline, kerosene, and I can understand uh, the the reasons why they why they did this. But those subsidies, one, are not going to defeat poverty. Uh, secondly, are keeping us from building up new economic opportunities of growth and employment. So. We should begin to transfer a lot of these subsidies into subsidies that uh, align economic interests and move in the direction of a low carbon uh, economy. You know, if you want to subsidize energy, don't subsidize coal or diesel or gasoline. Subsidize clean energy. Make that a much better business. Uh, put your incentives where you want to go towards uh, the future. Uh, I'm not to begin with. I'm not a, a great believer in subsidies, uh, Richard, because uh, I mean, even coming from a developing nation as I do, uh, subsidies send wrong signals uh, to uh, markets and to societies. Uh, and in the world of today, we have to be much, uh, much more intelligent with public policy uh, so that we can achieve the aims that we want to achieve uh, without having to rely on subsidies that uh, sometimes are required for a very short period of time. Like if you're transitioning from the high uh, emission economy to the low economy to the low emission economy. But if subsidies are irrelevant to move economies or, or signal the right direction, they should be there only for a short period of time. What, where is the governance breaking down? And I, as an eternal optimist in these issues, like what do you think the opportunity is to fix those, be it in the government or in corporate? Governments are pressured by elections every four or five years. For governments to take decisions that may not be popular or that need to be explained to the hilt as sustainability still needs to be unpacked and explained, um, it becomes a challenge, especially if they are looking at winning the next election. Corporations have the same challenge. They live on a quarterly basis. What the analysts say with respect to corporate earnings uh, makes or breaks a CEO, makes or breaks a board. And so you have all of these pervasive incentives uh, on the political side, and on the business side that encourage short-term thinking and sustainability uh, and combating climate change uh, and recuperating the health of the ocean. So looking at these things which require a medium and long-term perspective require a tremendous amount of courage, a good amount of optimism, and at the same time, perseverance, perseverance. Uh, you know, the, 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 the non-stopping quest to reinvent and to rethink and to reassemble in a way where we achieve even greater development, but at lower 
carbon emissions. I speak to people from oil, from ag, from sugar, from whatever. All their children are hammering them as CEOs, as presidents, as country managers. What are you doing? And I literally, I have a text in here from a former, very senior executive at an oil company saying, I sold X for many years for this company, and now I'm looking to redeem myself. And so I guess my question is, is that the, how, how do you reach those people before they leave office? How do you get them to say, this is the opportunity for your last? One way that they're being reached beyond their offspring, uh, their relatives, what they're seeing in the world, is I believe that they're being reached also by consumer trends. More people around the world today are preoccupied with what they are purchasing, how it was produced with respect to environmental and social standards, uh, where it was produced, if those countries where it was produced uh, have in effect in place environmental and social standards that move in the right direction. And I think that that message is uh, loud and clear at the board level where, you know, if they want to continue selling their products, they're, they, they're going to have to move in the direction in which uh, consumers and society is, is moving. And, and this is not a, a simple, easy uh, issue to, to unpack and explain. If uh, My father used to say, if development was easy, we would all be developed. There's a lot of thought leadership that still needs to go into this area. But the opportunities, the economic opportunities and the social opportunities of going this way are fantastic. Who do you see that's really moving on this quickly and is serious about it? You mentioned entrepreneurs. You mentioned the, the next generation. Do we have to wait for them? Or is there a much broader group of people that you are like, look, this is actually really exciting times. What, what's going really well right now in, in your mind? You know, I could sit here and talk to you about the ocean for hours uh, and go over the statistics. I'm an engineer. I like numbers. I, I, you know, I'm convinced that if you don't measure things, you don't achieve progress. But the picture of the turtle with a straw is much more convincing than anything here that I could say about numbers. Uh, and so I think that storytelling, we have to become very, very good and creative at storytelling to capture people's emotions. People are driven by emotions and the emotions then drive our rationality. We sometimes think that we make decisions on rationality. No, before we made that rational decision, there was an emotional decision that was made. And the turtle and the straw is that emotional decision and the storytelling at which we have to get much better. You mentioned something when you were talking about this just now, Richard. You mentioned the word scale. And I want to come to scale, Richard, because the challenge we have today requires not only creativity, uh, reinventing economics, bringing in economic externalities, but it requires scale because the challenge is so daunting and the time to fix it so short that our solutions need to be scalable. And so with Richard Branson, when we established the Carbon War Room, that was one of his main concerns. Um, he wanted to create an organization that would find ways to reduce carbon emissions in a profitable way at a gigaton level, at a gigaton level. Why? Because scale was important. As a final question, 
we have a lot of young professionals and students who are kind of plying their career. They're trying to figure out, they are on a mission. I get emails every week from students, from young professionals trying to figure out what should they do? Should I get my MBA? Should I get sustainable? Like they're really trying to figure out their, their path forward. What would you say to them when it comes to developing a career in sustainability? What should they know? What should they learn? What are the tips they should pick up along the way? It is absolutely the most exciting ever sector to go into, both in terms of public policy and in terms of the business and even the NGO world. There is nothing more important, Richard, than getting us over the hump of climate change. Because we all want to live better lives, but we have to decouple carbon emissions, which so far have been coupled so that we uh, continue to uh, live better without so many carbon emissions. And that challenge, that challenge, which is right there staring us in the face, is a huge opportunity for peoples from all over the world to jump in with both feet, both arms, full heart, uh, into the challenge of sustainability. Thank you very much for your time. This has been greatly informative, exciting, and certainly grounded in your experience. Thank you for your uh, pushing this agenda forward.